Let us pray. Holy and gracious Father, we thank and praise you, and we are mindful of the words of Jesus who said that he would send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, who would remind us of all that we know of Christ and also teach us new things about Christ. And so we ask on this new year, on this Sunday, we ask that the Holy Spirit, that you would send the Holy Spirit to remind us of what we know and to teach us of what we do not know. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Little Johnny was the world's worst math student. He was terrible at math. And whatever his parents tried to do to get him to learn math never worked. They bought him calculators, they got him tutors, nothing worked. In desperation, they said, we need divine intervention. And so they sent him to parochial school. And on the first day of parochial school, uh, he came home, said, hi, mom, hi, dad, went straight to his room and studied math all night. Wow, they were surprised by this. Second day, same thing. First week, every day, he did this. Second week, third week, the month, for the whole semester, all he did was come home and study math. Well, after that, end of the semester, he came home, he dropped his report card off and went straight to his room to study more math. Parents opened up, A+. Plus. They couldn't believe it. They were overjoyed. So they went in to talk to Johnny, and they said, Johnny, Johnny, you're doing so well in math. Why, why are you doing so well? Was it because the nuns were hard on you? Oh, no, it wasn't the nuns. Was it because the priests, they were praying for you? Oh, no, it wasn't the priests. Well, why are you so good in math? And he surprised them when he said, you know, Mom and Dad, on that first day when you brought me to that school and I saw the man nailed to the plus sign, <laughs> I knew they were serious about math. Johnny obviously didn't get Jesus. And yeah, I wonder if we get Jesus. I mean, we have just celebrated Christmas. We've celebrated Christ being born. We've celebrated him dwelling among us. We've sang the hymns. We've, we've given presents to each other. We've enjoyed this season. And yet, sometimes we wonder why. Or do we even know why Jesus did what he did? In the Gospel of John, the prologue, we are given an answer to why Jesus came. We are given what is so important about his birth, something that we shouldn't miss. And, and what's interesting, though, about this prologue, and, and I know we've all heard this, these verses from John many times. In fact, this is the Sunday, the first Sunday of the year, the last Sunday of the Christmas season, that you always do John 1, 1 through 18. So many of you have heard many sermons on this passage, right? Yeah, nothing new here. In fact, when you look at this passage, it's, over, it's, it's, it's overwhelming and it's, it's legitimate for why we would spend each year time studying this. Some have called this the prologue. It's like an overture of a symphony. In these 18 verses, it introduces all the themes in the Gospel of John. We hear about the Word, the light, the life. We're introduced to John the Baptist. We're introduced to the rejection of Jesus, Jesus' relationship to Moses, and Jesus' relationship to God the Father. You get all of it in those 18 verses. Even more, someone figured out that in those 18 verses, you actually get an outline for the whole Gospel of John. The beginning, verse 1, Jesus is God. By verse 13, he's rejected. By verse 18, he's God again. Well, isn't that what happens in the Gospel of John? Chapter 1, he's God. 
Chapter 12 and 13, Palm Sunday, rejected. And then by the end, Thomas, surely you're the Son of God. So you get an outline in this passage. Even more in this passage, you can see all of the Old Testament come alive. The first verse, in the beginning was the Word. What does that remind you of? Genesis 1, in the beginning, God, right? Also, you see in verse 14 of this chapter that the Son of Man came to dwell among us, skeno, which means to pitch his tent, to tabernacle among us. Now, why is the tabernacle important? Way back with Moses, who's mentioned in this, these, this prologue, Moses made the tabernacle for God, where the glory of God would dwell. Glory is mentioned here. Finally, what was the one thing that Moses couldn't see of God? Couldn't see his face. And yet we learn in this prologue that Jesus is face to face with the Father and he's come to explain the Father. I mean, all of this in this passage. And, not, and just to mention even more, it's beautiful. The language is poetic. I mean, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. I mean, all of this stuff is just so beautiful. It's lovely. And I was going to preach on this loveliness about this passage. And then my daughter asked a question that changed all of it. And I think my daughter Abigail is, is a great theologian already. And here's why. On New Year's Day, again, I had my sermon all ready to go, and we're sitting watching the Rose Parade. And she's loving it. And she's delighting it, and she's seeing the floats go by, and, and everything. She, Dad, those are flowers. And you know, she's just, it's all coming alive for her. And I'm thinking, I was going to relate this to the, the sermon, God's glorious thing. And then she said to me, Dad, what makes the floats move? And I said, well, they're special cars. They're special trucks that, that make them go. But I go, that's not what's important. It's, it's these beautiful flowers. She goes, no, Dad. What's important are those trucks, because without them, those floats can't move. I love that, except it made me have to rethink this whole sermon. <laughs> because this whole time, all those things we've looked at, we looked at the flowers, but we're not looking at what's driving the float, what's driving this passage. Why did Christ really come? And we see the answer in verses 11 and following. For what we learn in this passage is that something that I've skipped over, and I've, I've heard this sermon so many times, I've preached on it many times, I've missed it every time. Behind these beautiful words is a deep, dark truth. And the deep, dark truth is that humanity is estranged from God, that they're separated from God. That yes, Jesus is light, but there's darkness. Yes, Jesus brings life, but there's death. And so in this passage, we see and we hear about the estrangement between man and God. In verse 11, it says, Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Or in the old translation, his own received him not. Those are haunting words because those are words that have to do with the family. He comes to his own. He comes to his own people. He comes to his own 
brothers. He comes to the very people that God had established with the covenant. He'd come to the ones that God had led out of Egypt. He'd come to the ones who knew the law and the, had heard the prophets. And his own received him not. Robert Frost once said, home is the place where when you have to go there, they have to let you in. That's not the case with Jesus. When he went to his own, his own received him not. In fact, when you read the scriptures, you see what his own did to him. They called him crazy. They called him a glutton. His own called him a drunk. His own said he was an illegitimate child, a blasphemer. His own nailed him to the cross. You think your own family parties are bad? <laughs> they have nothing on Jesus. For when he came to the party, when he showed up bringing the wine, he was the fatted lamb. They did not rejoice. They did not receive him. They did not love him. They received him not. Now, this shouldn't surprise us, of course. The Bible is filled with strife. Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau, Joseph and the pit, and I were only in Genesis. In fact, there is one thing that brings me comfort in all of this, is that God is willing to enter into the messiness of life to do his work. I think this is important because most of us think when you become a Christian, it's all going to be nice and dandy and wonderful. But what happens? It's hard work. There's strife. There's struggle. There's, there's good days, but there are bad days. Family, Christians, two brothers who've been baptized might still struggle. Family parties that are meant to be a place of joy can be a place of pain. And God, though, isn't afraid to get messy. And that's what this passage is beginning to tell us, that God isn't afraid to, to enter into that. God doesn't have to, of course, but he wants to. He wants to enter into that family party that doesn't work. And that's what he's doing. Jesus comes to his own. In fact, this is the great surprise of this passage, the great surprise of Christianity. Not that the world's falling apart, not that the people reject him, but that Jesus wants to show up anyway. That's the great surprise, that God loves this world. In fact, for God so loved the world that he gave, he sent his only begotten son. That's the good news here. This is the language of love, the language of family. It's the language of God loving the world. Of course it would be messy because whenever you love your children, whenever you love your own, it gets messy. Dr. Rod Rosenblatt, who taught here, or who spoke here a few uh, months ago, he tells a story about a time when he was a young man. He was driving a sports car that his dad had given him, and he wrecked it. Doing something stupid, he wrecked it. Came home, and his mom let him have it. And why was she doing that? Because she loves him, and she doesn't want him to do it again, and so she let him have it. And then his dad came. And his dad said to him, Rod, are you okay? He said, yeah. And then his dad said, well, it looks like we're going to have to buy you a car tomorrow. You're like, what? 
I told this to Jamie, and she had that look like, what? And I go, no, this is exactly right. The first was the law of uh, uh, the love of the law, saying, look, don't do this. Knock it off. We don't want you to get hurt. We love you too much for that. But the second response is the law of gospel, the law of grace. It says, yes, you've made a mess of it. Yes, you've wrecked it. And guess what? We need to buy you a new car. It's both law and gospel. It is that we're sinners, but it's that God forgives us. It's God says, no, I don't want you to do it because it's going to hurt you, but you're still mine. You're still my child. I still dote on you. It's, it's both. It's not one or the other. It's both. That's what he experienced that, that night. Christ's coming. That's what we get. There's plenty of law. The fact that he has to show up is law. Because it means that the whole world is estranged from him. It means the world's in darkness. It means that the world has rejected him. He came to his own, his own received him not. That shouldn't surprise us. That's the law. That's what's happened. That's between you and us. That's what we know. This is what humanity does. Ever since the fall. The gospel, though, is... The great surprise is that God still loves this world and that Jesus is still willing to show up knowing that he'd be rejected. He's willing to show up and come there so that he might save those who are lost, that he might shine in the darkness, that he might bring life to those who are dead, that he might be that engine driving us to God the Father. In fact, that's what we hear in verses 12 and 13. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. What in the world does that mean exactly? It means, I think, something like this. Imagine that this person, this man, has, is in love with this woman. And he wants to marry her. And so he shows up. He sends his best man to prepare the way and says, look, this guy wants to marry you. And she goes, I don't want to marry him. So the best man comes back. He, she doesn't want to marry you. Well, he can't live with that, so he shows up. I want to marry you. I don't want to marry you. So he shows up again. I want to marry you. I don't want to marry you. Over and over and over again. This is what you get a sense of in this passage. John the Baptist was sent to be a witness to the light. Jesus then shows up to his own. I want to marry you. I want to make you God's children. And they received him not. And so in this whole thing that's going on, imagine with you now that there's a neighbor girl right next door, and she's watching all this. And this neighbor girl is a little wild. Pretty, but, but also has a wild look to her. Wasn't raised in the ways of God. Kind of loose, has a reputation. Well, this whole time, she's watching this, and she's going, my neighbor's an idiot. This guy's great. And she's just sitting there, oh, I wish someone would love me like that. Little does she know that as this guy's getting rejected over and over and over, he's looking over at her, and he's seeing the neighbor, and goes, well, you know, she has kind of a look at my, she's looking at me with these eyes. She's a little goo-goo over me. And she's kind of cute. Oh, she has a reputation, but, but, but she's cute. Huh? Why not? 
and he starts courting her. Well, this is what happens with Israel, right? God's loving her. God's coming after Jesus, showing up to his own, his own reject him. So God says, I'm, I'm going to open this up to all people, even those loose Gentiles, even those ones who are outside of God's plan. I'm going to make them my children. Now, of course, when this man would come to, to this one, who's a little wild, a little loose, hasn't lived right, she might have her objections. She might say, oh, but I'm too dirty. To which Jesus would say, well, then I'll wash you. Oh, but I have no wedding dress. To which Jesus says, I will cover you. But I have a bad reputation. And Jesus says, so what? I have a good one. You'll be my wife. But, but I've been undernourished. To which Jesus says, so I'll feed you. But I'm poor. Jesus smiles and goes, oh, you should see my bank account. But I'm unrighteous. I don't know the ways of God. I don't even know where to look. To which Jesus says, don't you know? I've seen his face. I've come to explain him. I've come to save you. I know all there needs to know of God. Be my wife. Become God's child. Not by human decision. Not by natural descent. But because of what God does. Be my child. That's what's going on in this passage. All this beautiful language is about a God who wants to save his people. When he's rejected from his people, he saves more other people. And yet, does he still forget about them? No. What does Jesus say on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What does Jesus do? He raises up Peter to preach to the Jews. I mean, all these things. God's never done. You can reject him a million times. He'll keep coming after you. But the passage is, is more about that God's willing to come down, willing to save us. An estranged world, he's willing to enter into it. Get messy, get dirty. Why? Because he loves this world. But God demonstrates his love in this. While we were still sinners, while we were estranged, while we were unrighteous, while we didn't have the right thoughts, while we didn't have the right deeds, while we didn't even know anything of God, while we were in utter darkness, Christ Jesus died for us. A reformation on this first Sunday, second Sunday after Christmas, the first Sunday of 2010. Know that what's underneath these beautiful words is God's love for you. That's what drives this float. A love that would send Christ a love that would cover your sin, a love that would make you his own. Do you deserve it? No! But he loves to give it. In Jesus' name, amen.